Hello, this is Hardin Coleman, faculty director for the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. You're listening to the very first season of Caring, Character, and Community, the Center's podcast. In this season, we will focus on learning from leaders about how they integrate the ethic of caring, they focus on their own and others' character development, and a commitment to serving the needs of the community in order to guide and inform their leadership decisions in times of crisis. A major part of the CCSR's mission is to facilitate conversations among educators, community organizers, and engaged citizens around the challenges of creating conditions in our schools and communities that will allow all our children to flourish. This is part three of our inaugural season, which will focus on bringing you the perspective of four youth-serving community-based organizations. In today's episode, we'll be having a conversation with the Executive Director of Trinity Boston Connects. Before becoming Executive Director, Charmaine Higgins served as Executive Director of STRIVE, a social justice not-for-profit focused on young adults in Boston from 2008 to 2017, during which time she transitioned the organization to become part of the Justice Resource Institute. She then served as a consultant for nonprofit organizations. She's been a senior fellow at the Institute for Nonprofit Practice since 2010, where she mentors the cohort of emerging nonprofit leaders of color. Charmaine attended Boston Public Schools and graduated from Boston uh, Latin School. She earned a BA in Classical Civilization from Wellesley College, an MA in Latin from the University of Texas, and an MBA from Simmons College. She serves as the past chair and current member of the Board of Trustees of Boston Latin School Alumni Association, and just completed a six-year term on the board of the ACLU in, in Boston. She's a current board member of the Mass, Massachusetts Nonprofit Debt Network, is the adjunct faculty member at Boston College School of Social Work. Charmaine, we really want to thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Arden. It's a pleasure to be here with you. If, if we could start out, if you could tell us more about your organization and also how this past year has been for you. Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, um, I serve as the executive director of Trinity Boston Connects. And having recently gone through a strategic planning process, we have um, changed our mission statement. So the mission statement before was unlocking opportunity and changing the odds for youth of color in the city of Boston. That's a, that's a good mission statement, but um, the organization felt that it lacked a certain level of specificity. And so um, we engaged with um, strategic venture partners, I believe SVP. And our new mission statement is that we exist to um, heal young people of color from the traumatic impact of systemic racism. That is a very specific um, mission, it's targeted, it's um, compelling, and we, we focus our energy on that word of healing, and we do it in several ways. So we have five different programs that exist within three pathways, our organizational change pathway, our youth development and leadership pathway, and our clinical care pathway. And each of those pathways um, focuses on healing from a, from a different perspectives. So with our youth development leadership, healing happens through our running program, physical activity. Um, our, our running program is called Soul Train. 
healing also happens through our clinically embedded program at Trinity at McCormick, McCormick um, Middle School in Dorchester, um, where we have clinicians who maintain a caseload of, um, of young people to whom they provide therapy. We also work with the whole school to bring more restorative practices, racially equitable practices, um, trauma-informed practices. And then we have healing and community through our TEAT program, um, Trin Trinity Education for Excellence program, which is a six-year pipeline program, summer intensive. And so healing looks like that for our youth, youth and development programs, for our org change, it's really working with um, leaders of youth serving organizations to help them identify their own racial racial identity and how that informs their decisions and, and how to change policies to make their organizations more restorative and more racially um, equitable. Um, and we also have our counseling center where we provide um, therapy and support to youth workers um, who themselves many times are experiencing the secondary trauma associated with helping the young people whom they serve. Um, and so that, that, that's our organization. We're really focused on um, helping to heal not only youth, three populations, youth, youth of color, youth workers, and then leaders of youth serving organizations. Um, and we do that through this integration of what we call our three essential community practices, racial equity, trauma-informed care, and restorative justice. So powerful and a lot of work and highly needed, obviously. But so how, how, how has this past year been for you and how has your organization responded to this year and a half of, 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 of pandemic, uh, elevation of issues of, of mm -hmm. about uh, racial justice? And so how has your organization responded and how have you responded to the challenges of this of this year, of the past couple of years? Uh, it's been, it's definitely been both a challenge, a significant challenge, as well as a significant opportunity. So I have been with Trinity for um, 20, 26 months. Mm. And um, last year, 2020 was a year that certainly challenged all of us in terms of our, our level of, of resilience to be present with the, the populations um, that we serve and also to be there for each other. Um, it, it, it was sort of incomprehensible the things that, that we witnessed as a, mm -hmm. as a country. Um, and yet at the same time, there are tremendous opportunities for us to, to really get our message out there. You know, before, our, our funders, as generous, generous as they were in the philanthropic community, they knew of Trinity Boston Connects and they knew the work we did. But once we changed that, that, that mission statement to healing, folks really, really understood, like, mm. we need to do something differently in this country. And particularly as, as young people were experiencing the trauma of of COVID as communities of color were experiencing the trauma of COVID and the health disparities that, that are already exacerbated by the racial inequities. And so we really tried to hone in on that healing work. Um, we did that internally. We provided um, what we call Wellness Wednesdays. Through the, our generous funders, we were able to provide COVID stipends to our staff. Um, and um, certainly, 
um, provided even therapy to some of our youth workers in our own program. So the mm-hmm. T program, for instance. Um, and so it was, a, it was a year of tremendous challenge um, and tremendous, tremendous opportunity. You know, it's amazing. So uh, as, as you may know, I, I, I've i been in the school counseling role for most of my professional career. And um, I entered the field just when providing social emotional support was being um, pushed to the side with an emphasis on academic performance. And so it's been, it's, it's been sadly encouraging to see this re-understanding re- that if we really want our children to flourish, we have to take care of ourselves and, so, and we have to provide opportunities for them to be cared for beyond their performance as, as uh, future citizens. So, so with that, I'm wondering how does care and being caring play into your decision-making as a leader? That's a great question. Um, you know, I have a, a saying at the organization that we are, I am, I try to be, and I certainly want our organization to be a hot organization. And I want to be a hot leader, humble, open, and transparent. And for me, that means in the decisions um, that I make, I, I really try my best to involve the entire organization. I try to help people understand how I came to a decision. And in more often than not, the decisions that are made for the organization are made uh, through an iterative process where we'll start with our executive team, which is uh, myself, Sheila Peterson, who's our chief development officer, and Rebecca Jackson, who's our chief program officer, and we'll slog it out. And then we'll bring our thinking, our best thinking to our leadership team. Mm -hmm. And then we'll slog it out some more. And then we'll bring it to our all staff and then to our board. And we really tried to lead with, you know, we can't talk about um, teaching other organizations how to be trauma-informed and how to be restorative and how to be racially equitable if we're not doing that ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that we have to practice what we preach and we hold ourselves to an even higher standard of care. And so, um, so it, it's, it's about thinking first about the safety and well-being, not just the physical safety, but also the, the mental, emotional um, safety and well-being of our, of our staff and of my colleagues. Um, and so that means that sometimes, you know, um, folks, have, have to really figure out how they work best in this environment. And yeah. do they need to start their days a little later to ease into the day? Do they need to start, you know, leave work, leave work, you know, turn off their computers um, a little later, a little earlier? We tried it to, to certainly, um, there's certainly work to be done, but how that work is done, we try to leave it very much um, to the discretion of the program directors as they work with their teams um, with an emphasis on, you know, just, just checking in with folks. All of our meetings, we start with a mindful moment mm-hmm. um, where we breathe, where we, um, you know, just l- literally listen to each other and check in with each other. Um, and we, we always make room for questions, concerns. We always have meeting agendas, but it's like, things come up and people are experiencing things and have questions. And so um, 
So I'm, I'm always, I, I feel like if I take good care of my team, then they in turn will do their jobs to the best of their ability and take care of the, 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 the folks with whom we interact and the, the young people whom we serve um, in the city. It's, it's, it feels to me that you, you're, you're suggesting that caring in your world is a very practical decisions about what you need to do to create conditions for others to flourish as they need it, not as they should, yes. meaningful to them. Yes. Um, I was listening to a, a, um, a speaker um, a couple of weeks ago and he, uh, talking about the five love languages mm-hmm. and how... Like we we have to love and care for people in the way that they need it. Not, not just because my love language is you know gifts or something like that. That doesn't mean that your love language is receiving yeah. gifts. It yeah. could be acts of service. And so I try to spend um, time with with our colleagues to really ask them like, how are you doing? What's going on with your family? You know, we've had. Um, some of our, our young people in our T program last year lost a young person to, um, to, to gun violence. Mm-hmm. And so being present with them in that leaders in that program at that moment, um, calling the, the mom and providing not only financial support, but just letting her know that even though I didn't know her son specifically, yeah. he's a young person and he's he's a young person who mattered to the TEEP community, to the Trinity Boston Connects community, and really to the overall community of Boston. And so it, it's being intentional. You know, caring is not just sort of flippantly like, oh, I care about everybody. It's like, no, how do I care for Harden? How do I care for Rebecca? How do I care for on and on and on? Yeah. So that's, that feels to me very demanding, emotionally demanding. And so... How, how is that ethic of caring as you're practicing it challenged? Where does that become a challenge to your leadership as well? We look at here how it facilitates leadership, builds community, builds a sense of culture, builds a sense of appreciation. But where is that ethic challenged in your practice? It's challenged when, um, when, when we're not holding ourselves to the high standard mm-hmm. in terms of the quality of work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. When, um, when, when colleagues, when, when we get um, complacent and almost sort of, um, there's this sort of resignation like, well, this is all I can do. I can't do anymore. It is COVID, there's racism. Mm-hmm. And while that's true and we want to, and I certainly want to and the, the executive team and leadership team want to be supportive of everyone who's going through this difficult time, we also have jobs to do. Yeah. And so yeah. when whenever that that care and concern, it, it, it should never be in um, in opposition because to care for someone is also to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because without standards, like if you have no standards, there's there's you can't do anything with that. And so that for me. Holding, holding myself and my colleagues accountable for the work and the quality of work that we are charged to do, that is also an extension of caring. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Edvesters did a multiple year study of the, they had that School of the Move prize where they, re, they recognized the top performing schools in, in, in Boston 
who've been high performing for over a five year period. And, 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 that, and they look at them and they kind of identify the best practices. And one of them is high expectations and high support. That's right. That one or the other is not what drives high quality performance, doesn't make you a useful organization. You're not really meeting the needs of kids because you love them. But if you love them, but just having a high expectations without caring for them is also not a way that all kids get served. So it sounds That's like right. you're, in your work as a leader, having high expectations and high care are important, but that could be challenging. The expectations yes. are not always experienced as being caring. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's almost like um, I think of it as like truth and grace. So we have to extend grace to our colleagues, grace to ourselves and each other as we're doing this, this challenging work. And at the same time, there has to be truth. There has to be this emphasis on you're not meeting expectations. You know, you're not, you're not um, providing the quality of service that, that we're, that we're, um, that we have to provide because there, there are communities that are relying on us. And so we have to have, um, we have to have truth and grace. We yeah, have to yeah. have high accountability and high, high um, care too. Yeah. I see them as similar. Well, that leads me to the next question because you know, part of what you're suggesting is a certain level of authenticity and honesty that's part of the work as well. And that makes me think about the word character, right there, the word character. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? What does that word mean to you? And how do you see having or being of character playing into your decision-making as a leader? Character um, for me is, is really everything. Um, mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> again, I go back to that acronym, humble, open, transparent. Mm -hmm. The Charmaine you see right now is the same Charmaine you'll see in the grocery store. It's the same Charmaine mm -hmm. you'll see at TBC at the, the same there has to, for me, character means um, consistency. Mm -hmm. Character means integrity, which is really wholeness. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, how I move and, and am in the world has to be consistent and has to be um, built on integrity. And so everything that I try to do, whether it's, you know, how I am as a, a daughter or sister or friend or as I serve as an executive director, like what you see is what you get. Yeah. And um, and then that also means that I own my mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think sometimes in our in in our world, in our work, especially as as leaders, um, we we believe the sense that okay, we should have all the answers, um, and that somehow our 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 colleagues think that if we make a mistake that somehow we're, we're not credible leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's in our vulnerability that we show our credibility, that we show our character, that we show our humanity. And that's what, that's what people can attach to. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, it's not the sort of, um, it's not an, like we're all imperfect. We're all imperfect. And, and, and so why not, why not start there and build from there, build, build a level of consistency in your character and how 
how you care for people, how you hold them accountable, um, how you share decision-making processes, how you bring people in. Um, that's incredibly important to me because at the end of the day, if I can't look myself in the in the face at the end of the day and say, Charmaine, you did the best you could and you showed up as you are in your authentic self, then that's a problem because yeah. I got to live with me. That's right. <laughs> so can you give me this example of when being that authentic self present with your with your colleagues and, and, and the people you serve and 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 demonstrating that kind of uh, as you say integrity of consistency has worked really well for you had led to a really useful outcome for you or your organization and also mm-hmm. an example where it didn't work so well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure so I think about um, with the strategic planning process that we just went through. So the the process had started two, like a year, two years ago before I came. Mm-hmm. And from what my colleagues tell me, the process was not a transparent one. Um, it was sort of clouded and, and folks didn't know how decisions came to be um, and felt that there were, there were times where um, questions weren't being answered and in all of that just it was just murky and again because of who I am and where I've come from in terms of my own nonprofit journey I know that you can't build um, a level of trust as a new leader without transparency and without vulnerability so we came up and when I say we the executive team along with our SVP consultants came up with a process which I just described where, you know, we would start with with executive team and bring that information and those decisions for further discussion to our leadership team and then bring all of that to the all staff and then to our um, executive, not our executive committee, but the strategic planning committee of the board and then to the full board. And it was a real pleasure to hear many of my colleagues saying that even with the decisions that they didn't necessarily um, support or like, not, not support, but like, yeah. they understood how we got to those decisions and why those decisions were made. And therefore they felt a level of, of comfort knowing that, okay, I understand I was a part of those conversations. I had an opportunity to voice my concerns. And even though we didn't come to the conclusion that I wanted, um, I, I'm, I'm here and I can get behind um, where the organization is going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but can you give an example where that didn't work? Um, it didn't rec- get the outcomes you, you were sure. anticipating or hoping, yeah. Same, same, same case. And we had one, one colleague who, based on the decisions that we made at the time, um, she, couldn't, she couldn't move past the decision. Mm-hmm. She, she felt that it was the wrong decision that we weren't being, um, we just didn't understand the, the nuances of her particular program. And, you know, this is not, as she said, this is not what she signed up for. And so she made the decision to leave. Um, and at one point in our all staff meetings, it was very difficult to have her in those spaces because she was just, so, her face just showed her discontent and her displeasure. Mm-hmm. And that was beginning, Others, other colleagues noticed that and um, were, were expressing concern. And so, you know, t- the same process 
two very different outcomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and that, that kind of leads to the other questions that we think about in terms of this community part. You have lots and lots of constituents. You have three different programs serving in very different ecologies. You have a board. You have a greater Boston public. You work with BPS. So it sounds to me that the way you approach that complex organization is through engaging them in conversations about the work, an iterative process. You, that you come with an idea, you start with your executive team, and then you share that with a larger group and really change based on the information you get, do the iteration. It's not a win-lose, it's a building consensus. Is that a fair capture of the way you manage your constituency? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and many times I try to be the last person to speak mm-hmm. because I want to make sure that everyone knows that that first I always in, invite and encourage everyone to bring their voice to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, that gives me an opportunity to listen, to be thoughtful and um, to to hear different perspectives that may inform the, 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 the direction of, of the work itself. And so I very much try to, to, to lead and co-lead and co-collaborate with my, with my colleagues um, to a place of consensus. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, because leadership is not always about consensus, um, but even when I have to make a decision, um, I, I very much involve as many people, as many of our colleagues as possible so that again, there is understanding because the worst thing is to have decisions made and folks are like, well, how did, who, who made that decision? How did they make that decision? I don't even understand it. I was never informed. I don't want that. Well, Charmaine, you're, you're suggesting something. As you know, um, we, we're all thinking a lot and hearing a lot about the polarizations in our, in our society and the, the competitive needs that people have. You're articulating a vision that says it is possible to find consensus. It is if you treat people with care, respect, give them the time, allow it to uh, mature without having to go. But there's a way that people can find a shared voice. And how do you get people to trust that? Because a lot of people say, come on, really? You know, well, you're playing with me, right? You know, you're, you're really, you know, you're kind of reaching out, you know, we're not all together. How, if, if you're meeting their needs, how do you meet my needs? How do you get people to trust that process? I think you, you, it goes back to character. It goes back to that integrity and it goes back to communication and consistent intentional communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that, that our needs um, and wants aren't mutually exclusive, that for you to get your needs met means that I cannot get mm-hmm. my needs met. It's not a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, especially, <clears throat> certainly in, in politics and even in, in the ways in which um, some nonprofit leaders govern, um, it's, it's this sense of like, nope, it's a zero sum game. Either I get all I want or or it's nothing. I take yeah. my ball and I go home. Mm-hmm. And that that's not that's not my philosophy in life in general. And so um, I believe it is possible. And I think that as as people see and as my colleagues have seen seen me show up day after day um, in the ways that I do, that that builds a certain level of like, okay, 
I think I can trust her. I think, you know, yeah. she says the same thing all the time. Yeah. I've seen her grapple with stuff and she's not yelling and cursing people out. She's inviting my voice, even if it's a dissenting voice. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, we have to build trust incrementally. You know, as a, as a new executive director, I can't just come in there and stand on my desk and say, everybody trust me. Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, I have to earn their trust and I have to do it incrementally day by day. So, Shomay, and I know that you know other leaders will be listening to this, and other people in the nonprofit space. So, how do you get your board and your funders on board with this iterative, consensus approach that doesn't always allow you to walk into the board meeting and say, "Well, you know, here's the goals we have, and we're going to accomplish it," versus saying, "I'm going to work with my people to figure out what we should do, and then I want you to resource." Do people buy it? How do you get people to buy into that? I think, well, pe- people have bought into it. I think it's, it's, I think it's, it's an issue in a question of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and with my board, first, I have a wonderful board. I have a wonderful uh, board chair and um, a gentleman named Dave Aldrich and before him, Mike Parker. And these are, are gentlemen and these, this is a board one, we have a, a, a diverse board. We have different industries represented, life experiences, um, all also race, gender, all of that. And and I think that what what they look to me to bring is a level of um, integrity, a high level of quality and accountability. And and I I do that and I involve them, particularly the executive committee and, and specifically my board chair um, in, in those conversations. Um, he and I, Dave and I meet um, bi-monthly and my philosophy is no surprises, yeah. like no surprises, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, no surprises. Because as soon as I believe or think or you know, intuit something, I shared that with Dave to get his view, to get his opinion, because um, I need, we need to be on the same page. Um, we need to, to certainly, um, I need to, to hear his, his advice and, um, and get the support of the full board in, in problem framing and coming up with scenario, um, scenario planning, because it's, I can't do this work by myself. Mm-hmm. Like I, I tend to lead through influence and consensus and collaboration. Um, and there's a humility in me that says, I don't know everything. There's no way that I can know everything. And so we're, we're stronger um, together and certainly um, we're more strategic, more dynamic together. So I mean, we're, where do you get the strength to be so trusted? In a world where you're dealing with, with people in the middle of trauma, as you say, we're all, we're all experiencing a lot of trauma. You're serving people who have, who have been traumatized by a system that does not necessarily care for them very well. And now you're speaking of a leadership style that means I need to trust in others' um, ability to work together. Where, where, where do you get the strength to do that? It's, um, it's a couple of places. One is my, my faith. Um, I'm a, a Christian. And so 
I really believe that um, I do none of this by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I know that that there are more people for me and for us than are uh, you know against us. And even that sort of dichotomy of people being against mm-hmm. us. But there, I do believe that there that most people want to live a healthy, hopeful life where they can see their children grow up and where they can live in safe communities and get the support and help that they need when they need it. Um, And so I start from that place that one, all of us are dealing with some kind of challenge. Mm -hmm. um, And so start with, you know, just kindness. I was telling one of my colleagues today that I'm really trying to lean into kindness and, um, and giving people, remember I said grace and truth. Mm -hmm. So being, being gracious, being grace and, and, and seasoning my conversations with grace um, is really important to me. It sounds a little bit like by sharing grace, by sharing trust, that strengthens your ability to give grace and share trust. The doing it gives you that it helps give you that strength. Absolutely. It it is. It it it's it's in the, it's in the doing, it's in the practice. And, mm-hmm. and, and something else that we say at, at TBC is that we're not looking for perfection, we're looking for progression. And mm-hmm. so that, that obviously means that there's a practice, that, that sort of iterative practicing of sharing truth, sharing grace, sharing um, information, sh- sharing mistakes, like just sharing. And it's, yeah. it's a day-to-day practice. Yeah. yeah. So before, thank you so much. This is really, uh, as I say, I, I find these conversations to be heartwarming and inspiring. And I want to thank you for sharing uh, an image of the world, of the way the world can work, uh, particularly as we move forward to um, improve our systems so we can support children's uh, uh, flourishing. But before I let you go, I have one more question, and that is, what would you say to your younger self? As you look back of your career, and and if there's something that you could have heard early when you started that would have um, enhanced your progression or or facilitated your growth, what would that be? Um, I would have told my younger self to be more courageous, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to just, just be be more courageous, um, be bolder, um, because, you know, we, we tend to put ourselves sometimes in these boxes and we're supposed to do things this way. And, and it's like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to step out of those boxes and, and um, you know, now the saying is speak truth to power. Um, but I, I would say, you know, be, be, be courageous, be courageous. Yeah. Speak truth for truth. That's right. That's great. Well, great. Well, Charmaine, thank you so much for your time. This has really been a lovely, lovely experience. So, and I hope you you have a very good day. Thank you for listening to Caring, Character, and Community, the podcast of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. 
The development of this podcast is made possible with the generous support from the BU's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development and a grant from the Kern Family Foundation. Thanks also to Lizzie Barquet for her editorial and production work on this podcast. The music you're, listening, you're hearing is Bluesy Vise by Doug Maxwell, produced by Media Right Productions. I'm Hardin Coleman, and thank you so much for listening.